we are created with a natural drive, a propensity towards good, to do that which is good. And this, this drive towards good, unfortunately, has been corrupted, has been splintered. And as a result, we experience a will that has turned against itself, really. That, that, and that's what life that's why life seems to be about what can I get away with or how can I get my way we become self-centered and it's all about us and we resort to using tactics like manipulation and deception and seduction etc and in many ways we do this without thinking or realizing it and we do it in little small ways hidden out of sight enslaved to our own splintered broken corrupt wills Welcome to episode 30. I'm Adam Como, host of the Walking Close Podcast. We all have the capacity and freedom to choose to do good or evil, to say yes or no. Uh, each of us ha- has a what we call a personal will. That is what we really want. It- it's the power we have, and how we exercise that power uh, forms our heart, and our heart informs uh, our wills. And so, what we really want. Our, our will informs how we respond to everything. What we think, it empowers how we feel in the moment, what we say, what we do. It's, the, it's freedom. It's freedom in its truest form. And, and God does not override and force us to go one way or, or the other. We, we choose what we want, but, but we, can't, we can't choose the consequences. And part of the consequences we have to deal with, uh, it's uh, becoming enslaved to our own wills. The problem with that is our wills can be splintered, contradictory, uh, divided. They can be corrupted. And this can be seen in the fact that uh, we might want, as it were, uh, to be transformed, but we don't want to do what it takes to change. Uh, Really, when you get down to it, it, it's... our wills are so complex and and it's chaotic and we feel it we know it like when when we want to do something but we also don't want the consequences that come with people finding out or seeing us then out of fear we try and hide what it is that we're doing and we now have to pretend like we didn't do it or we didn't do something or, or, or like nothing is wrong. And all the while internally, there are these conflicts and we know we feel it. We know what we know that our, our, what our choices can bring. We can be aware of how we're going to feel and what we might have to contend with as a result of our choices. And we don't want to experience those things. Yet there is another part that desires to do the thing that might bring all this about. And many times that desire is stronger. And this can easily be seen as it's played out in cases of addiction. But, but here's the thing. It also can be the normal hidden process played out regularly in non-addicts. That is in our lives and everyday people where it doesn't appear like there's anything wrong. Really, we know this. And we know we need help. 
We, we recognize that our ability to choose at times, our own personal process may not be in the best condition, which is why we desire to, to know the will of God for our lives, right? We, we seek to know what God's will is for not just our lives, but for specific situations, right? In moments of frustration, though, we, we might think, why didn't God just create us in such a way that makes us do the right thing, right? And that really comes from us knowing that our processes are faulty and, and that, that our, our process isn't in the best condition and we don't always make the best choices. And maybe even most of the time we realize we don't make the best choices and we feel the conflict that is there. And really, we speak out of frustration um, because we turn around and we really do value our ability to choose. It's something we fight to protect. It's something uh, that, that, that uh, we value. But it also seems to pose a serious problem. And we know this. We're aware of this. This world is filled with people who are daily living through the internal conflicts that result from splintered wills, if you will. This is a part of what Paul describes in Romans 7 when he says things like, I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. And he says, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. This, I think, perfectly describes our condition, the human condition. It's what we face on a regular basis. It's the process we live through. And Paul goes on to say at the end of this, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? We know we feel that, right? That's the process that sometimes we, we, we go through. But then Paul concludes this by saying, Thanks be to God. Jesus said, This is the work of God. Not commanded by, or, or but, but, but wrought by God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. This presents this partnership. And in fact, if you go back to Romans 7 and to Romans 8, you see Paul talks about this partnership. God working in us as we believe. The term here, believe, is in the present sense, which expresses a continuing life of faith, not just a single act. Literally, that you may keep on believing is how it's stated. And it's a word that carries with it the idea of entrusting, that is, to give into the care of another. In other words, you entrust yourself, your life, your very existence into the hands of him whom he has sent. That's what Jesus says, speaking of himself. And as we do this, he works. And as we, as we learn to trust God, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, our choices begin to align with him. And when this happens, God's will begins to permeate our lives. He works. This is what we are designed for. Now, to understand this, let's go back to the idea of being created in the image and likeness of God, right? Because there's all this conflict, and we know that there are problems. We know that we need, that we need help. So how do, we, how do we come to the solution understanding what we're designed for. Go back to the idea of being created in the image and likeness of God. What makes people quite different from the rest of the living world is the fact that we are created in or according to the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. This, 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 this fragment of scripture really speaks to God deliberating. 
It speaks to this unique relationship that humanity has with God. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Image and likeness. It can be argued that these words are interchangeable terms. And they carry with the the, the the idea of image, okay, carries with it the the the, the essence of that which it represented. Uh, as an example to understand this, an idol image of the deity would be worship as the deity because it contained the deity's essence. Not that the image could do what the deity could do, nor that it necessarily looked the same, but the deity's work was done through the image. That's how this would have been understood. So how are we to understand this as it concerns us? I think it's helpful to go to Genesis 5 verses 1 through 3 where you have this book of generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, right? And the male and female, he created them and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. Then it says, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Now, having the image of God in Adam and the image of Adam in Seth, that's what's presented here in this context. This, though, goes beyond just each thing reproducing after its own kind. Sure, Seth probably inherited lots of the ways that he looked, etc., from his parents. But, but it also has to do with the fact that he had the propensity to be and act like them. That's what made worshiping idols or images of deities so ridiculous because they literally did not have the propensity to respond or react. And we, being made in the image of God, have the propensity to be and act like the Father, God. We are, we are created with a natural drive, a propensity towards good, to do that which is good. And this, this drive towards good, unfortunately, has been corrupted, has been splintered. And as a result, we experience a will that has turned against itself, really. That, that, and that's what life, that's why life seems to be about what can I get away with or how can I get my way? We become self-centered and it's all about us and we resort to using tactics like manipulation and deception and seduction, etc. And in many ways, we do this without thinking or realizing it. And we do it in little small ways, hidden, out of sight, enslaved to our own, splintered, broken, corrupt wills. Now, All of this is in total contrast to God's way or God's will. This is why Jesus, in talking to people living within this framework, said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus had to say that to people who were not that. And this word perfect here is oftentimes said, well, he's talking about being complete. It's a word that deals with uh, the idea of the end goal or the standard. In other words, we have been we have been given the standard. We see it. We understand it, right? We have And we have been given a conscience, a self-awareness, and a discernment in the Holy Spirit, which allows us to fulfill this as it were, God working in us. Dallas Willard points out that in contrast to the life, which is, which is, which is all about what, what, what I can get away with or how I can get my way, which in turn resorts to you know, using tactics like manipulation, deception, and seduction, and malice, 
in contrast to that, submission to God, that is his way, his will, it takes, it takes a transparency, a sincerity, it, it takes a good will. Now that's quite a difference in behaviors. And the question is, which character do you want? And which is Christ-like? See, the, the, the result of this spiritual transformation is the character of Christ. And having, as Scripture says, put on Christ. And when we, when we truly trust God, when we are devoted to what He wants for us, when this, uh, this governs and permeates who we are, we will have the character of Jesus. It, it will, uh, as Paul said, it will be, it is no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. And at the, at the end of the day, though, it's a choice that we make. God does not force us. He does not override our choices. He does not force us to go one way or the other. We choose what we want, and, and, and oh, the conflicts that ensue. It, it can drive us into total despair. But what we don't have to despair because, believe it or not, God's heart gravitates towards us in our brokenness. I love these passages, especially even from the Old Testament scriptures. That's Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord draws near to the brokenhearted. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Now, when you think about sacrifices and how they were seen as a way to get God's attention, a way of worship, the psalmist says, this is what gets his attention, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Isaiah 57, 15 says, God says, listen, listen, the Lord, me, God, who dwells in the most high, I also, he says, dwell with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. And I do this to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Contrite is just a synonym of guilt. And we're talking about something being crushed and, and ground down. Isaiah 66, 2 says, All these things my hands has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit. And trembles at my word. God's God's heart gravitates towards us when our hearts are broken by sin. When we we're, we're in these conditions, when we, and, and so they were feeling bad about sin. You know, it's a good feeling. It's called godly sorrow. Second uh, Corinthians seven uh, seven ten. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. And the problem is when we don't accept God's love, that forgiveness, and truly entrust him. See, that's why it's so important to really trust God, entrust him with our lives, with our very existence. Because when we don't entrust ourselves to God, our hearts do not align with his, our hearts will not be in sync, our, our wills will not be in sync with his will. Now, in the next podcast, we're going to continue working our way through this process of realigning ourselves with God. And we're going to talk about committing ourselves to this process. But that's next time on the Walking Closer Podcast. Thanks for joining me on this episode. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Connect with me on the Walking Closer Facebook page. Drop me a message or any questions you might have. And make sure you join us next time as we explore becoming like Jesus from the inside out.